It's the Breaking Atoms podcast. We break things down to the very last compound. My name is Summit, aka the failed Homo sapien. And my name is Chris Mitchell, aka the actual factual. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. You good? Yeah, man. No haircut right now, but you know. No haircut? Nah, man. I'm living. I'm living. I give my. I, I, I cut my own hair now. No, no, no. See, these, these are the things I can't abide by. Why? I know. I, I don't care <laughs> you know, about my hair. You know hair. when someone gonna... says I can't abide by something, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's very it's, offensive it's to them. Real... Nah. It's, it's a very, very T-I-esque yes, um, word to use. Yes, bruv. I've got, to, I've got to find a new barber at some point. Okay. Yeah, because... Okay. okay. Yeah, an hour to the barber shop. And, you know, my barber don't really have an opening time, in it. So I have to wait for that gentrification to really come down on him for him to get serious. So until then, <laughs> I am... Um, yeah, this, this is the life that one has to live, you know? No, I, I mean, I grew my hair out in the pandemic and it got really, really long. And then I just started cutting myself. You, you remember when we was young, yeah? And we used to snap on people for not having a haircut. And they used to say, yeah, man, man's growing it out, innit? I'm going to plait it. That's what you sound like. I'm growing my hair out. I'm growing it no, out, No, I did, innit? I did. I grew, no, I grew, I just couldn't be asked to get a haircut. And then I just grew it out. Because I was like, oh, I, I kept thinking, you know, I go get a haircut, go to the barber's. And I never did because it was pandemic and everything was closed. And then I just started growing my hair. I got, let's, let's see how long it gets. And it was really long. Does your barber use then, um, clippers? My barber's? yeah. yeah, yeah. One time it's I got lighting, I went to, um, I broke the code. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie, bro. One time, yeah, I needed a haircut, bruv. And I went to a Turkish barber, bruv. And you know wow. what he did, bruv? He took this stick, bro. Stick? And, yeah, and it had fire on it, bruv. Like, and he was burning hair off the back of my, my ear. Bruv, when I went home, yeah, my wife looked at my hairline and she just shook her head. She said, don't, don't go back there. No, 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 my, my, you know, my, 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 my barber's like official <laughs> tissue, man. I, you got stick fire when I saw on the stick. Him pull out the, when on? I saw him pull out the stick and light on fire, I'm like, yo, fam, like, listen, man, why, why are you going to burn me up in the chair, bruv? Like, relax, innit? Like, relax and that. Relax and that. But no, good guy. Yeah, we've, we've got to talk about a, f- a couple of things before we get into this episode with Sean Shataro. You should be very pleased and grateful and, and also help. And a thank you to the fans as well, because without them and the contributors too, this this is not possible. But um, Guardian, mm-hmm. ESPN's undefeated. Chat the ting. Music Week. What? The Vault Podcast. Mm-hmm. Questions Hip Hop. Mm-hmm. The Independent. Mm-hmm. And one of Complex's best podcasts to listen no, to no, 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 this no, hold year. On, hold on, that's not what they said. They said. We are a podcast you need in your life. This is true. So, we, you know, congratulations. Thank you. And congratulations to you as well. Um, I always say, and this is not like some gas thing. This is something that we share with our listeners. This is something we share with our contributors. It's a share, it, this is shared by everyone who has been part of this podcast, has supported us publicly, privately. This is for you. For sure. I do send some do say to, to, to thank some people. So some people have got some do say. Um, and that's my new thing, even though I never drink do say, I've never drank do say in my life. You know mem- what? I, I also want to thank you publicly. You sent me a bottle after the, I never shared this online or to anyone, but you sent me a bottle. And um, yeah, it's time to open it, I think. Yeah, no, no, I think so. I, I think like, it's time like, to open I, it. I, you know, I, I, I message people and say, hey, if, if it's okay, I don't want to breach any kind of like ethical guidelines, but if it's yeah, okay. Yeah, them payola ones there, innit? They might say, yeah, man. Man, send me a bottle of Doucet and that. You're still not, you're still not going in my chart though, innit? Yeah, yeah, I just want to send some Doucet. So that's nice, my true. thing, it's to nice. send Doucet. It's nice. Um, but no, that that's um, that's great. And, and one of the people that we we speaking to today appeared on our Blueprint series, has appeared on the podcast before. He is a third time guest, effectively. And we talk about that in, in, in the interview. This is Sean Tataro, um, a published author now, mm. um, who, who's got a new book, uh, Dummy Boy. The story mm. of Takashi Six Nine and uh, the Nine Train Gangsters. No snitching. No snitching at all. Um, I, you know, we were we were privileged enough to get an advanced copy, so you know, we read it. Um, a very interesting one. I, I mean, I was glued to the story um, because it was just something that was so big at that time. 
Um, and I think Sean does a, a wonderful job of telling that story. And as I say in the interview, no one can touch this story. It's his to to. to I think the the podcast series with Angie Martinez was incredible. The book is a good companion to that. Um, and you know, congratulations to Sean, man. What a yeah. what a what a Ditto. the the accomplishments that he keeps notching up is wonderful. Ditto. Yeah, and like you know, we always say without what Sean did on the um on the cipher. You wouldn't have a show like this, you know. Definitely Combat Jack, and we all, we always salute Reggie, Combat Jack, and the people who came before us. But you know, the cipher is definitely an influence on on this show. And like you say, man, wh- whatever you think about the person he's writing about, that to me that's irrespective. It's more so the storytelling and some of the cautionary jewels in the story. You know, they say, what is it? Uh, a smart man learns from his own mistakes, and a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. So, um, yeah, boy, I'm going to have to write a book myself. You anyway. need to. I've been telling you, man. been telling you. been telling you. You know what my book's going to be called? Go Suck on. Your Mum. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I really shouldn't do these things. You know what? Yeah, before we start, sometimes, right, mm-hmm. I sit at home, innit, and I have visions, like, of, of, of the violence I would commit if someone told me to suck my mum. Right. Got it. I think of all these creative ways... That I would put it on, man, for saying do you, that. Do you know, look, I don't, you know, never say never. Um, there was a time in my life where that those were fighting words. What do you mean a time in your life, bruv? No, no, bruv. no, like, 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 no, no, no. When I when I say, I mean, I mean, like, it was real fighting words, right? Like, it was a thing, right? And you know, I had to handle my things, right? I don't care so much anymore. No, 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 no. We're not doing that. I don't We're care so much. That. I don't give a no, shit. No, 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 no. You might have to brandish a weapon for that one still. No, I don't, I don't like, I don't, like, no, I'm no, trying to get to- talk a... about Mrs. Mitchell Senior like that. No, 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 no. no, no, no what no, it is, no. what it is, I'm trying to get to a place, maybe not just, you know, suck your mother, all that, but just generally speaking, right? I'm just trying to get to a place where I just don't give a shit about what the Me things too, that people it? say. Me too, like, I don't care, innit? Like, I'm no, 36 bro, years bro. old about to go to 37. Why do I give a shit about some no, guy you know, my mom is in her yard. You know, my mum is in her yard just chilling, not troubling no one, innit? Leave her out of it, bro. <laughs> like, leave her out of it, bro. Do you know what I'm saying? No, we can't okay. do that. I right, wish we, I could we, be like you. But no, fine. No, I'm trying. I'm not saying I'm, I've got that. I'm trying. I don't care. Like, I'm just trying to exercise this thing. No, nah, mate, like, that's how I bust your head to the white meat, bro. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's interview. Let's let's introduce this guest, man. I'm whining. No, 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 no. Sorry, Sean. Sorry, Sean. We love you, sorry, man. Sorry, hopefully, sorry, hopefully, man. You had a couple of chuckles on the way. We ain't done this for a while, bro. Like you know, we just we we've um we've been too busy to doing some series. Meat, you know, bro. The white meat. Well, sh- well, it's funny you say that. It's funny you say that because now that you say that that word, um, I'm gonna shout out Marzi Soul Purpose, and I'm looking at one of his early um one of his early albums, and the last song. And this is funny. I just picked it out of nowhere. I didn't know it was there, right? Just picked it out. The other white meat. Yeah. Which features, which features a mortal technique. I love that song. But this is what I'm talking about. Marzi understands. Yeah, no, no, no. You got to boss a man's head to the white meat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sean, sorry, 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 sorry. We love, we we love you. But no, no, listen, Sean Sotaro, great episode. Um, This is, I, I, I really thoroughly genuinely really love this episode it's a really really good conversation and sean's a really good interview like period he makes it easy he mm. makes it easy you know what i mean mm. he could he, you can tee him up but he's knocking out of the park with the answer and you know what he's got a fly name yeah, sean sataro yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Sound my, like my, a wrestler my my i know we haven't got anywhere close to 2022 yet we're getting there but in terms of resolutions i think my my resolutions is probably going to be to try and get kathy iendoli to to rap and to mm-hmm. get Sean Sotaro to rap. I think you've gone too far. Thank you. Um, but you know, you're my man in it, so I support you in it. Okay, let's get to this episode. Damn it, All what right, happened? Let's do it. What happened to me? What happened? What happened? Eight, I, eight I minutes this, in and out. Eight minutes in and out. I let this fall off the rails. I'm sorry. This is Sean Sotaro, Breaking Atoms Podcast. Check it out. It's a special episode of the Breaking Atoms Podcast, and we are joined by a friend of the show, associate editor but now our guest can now add author published author to the list of his many many accomplishments we are talking to none other than sean sataro welcome to the podcast how are you doing i'm doing great i'm doing great yeah thanks for having me back guys chris summit this is this is amazing um yeah i guess counting the counting the blueprint series this is uh this is number three right you're actually our our first three-time guest 
Wow. Wow. Yeah, you need a you need a world title for that or something, some kind of trophy. I'll I'll settle I'll settle just for a medal. Well, we'll sort you out. We'll sort you out. Okay. But thank you so much for taking the time. You've got a lot of things going on. And you listen, you've been in the game for such a long time and a respected voice. Um, you've done some incredible things and we appreciate you and respect you, which is one of the reasons why we reached out for the Blueprint series. But today you are here in the capacity as a published author. This is your first book. You have a book jacket and everything. You know, your name is plastered all over the top left-hand side of every page. You know, shit got real for you. Shit got real for you, Sean. How does it feel to be a published author at this point? It's amazing to be a published author. I, I, I had always figured that writing books was something that, you know, my smart friends did, right? Who had, you know, were, were fancy, well-respected authors and, you know, people like uh, Dan Charnas, obviously, you know, just an incredibly dogged reporter. I had never thought of myself as being remotely in that category, but because I was so involved with the Takashi case that which this book is obviously about, the opportunity came up to write a book. And I said, well, you know, it can't be anyone else. I'll be upset if anyone else writes this thing. So, uh, so it's gotta be me. And uh, yeah, and it turned out great. It's, it's amazing to see. I think it is hopefully my final word on this topic, which took up uh, years of my life, which is kind of crazy to say. And yeah, it's it's just amazing to see, you know, the everything about it, the the cover art I love, and you know, just the the whole process of going through it and doing all the different drafts. I just I learned so much, and and I'm very happy with how it came out. And look, we'll definitely talk about you know how you spent many years on one person, and you mentioned Dan too, and he's on the book jacket as well, and he gives a glowing review, uh, as well as other people, respected people in the culture. But I want to start at the beginning with the dedication because I, I really like it's it's um it's a great way to start the book. Mm-hmm. And you dedicate the book to Rosie and Rubin, and you say, "May you grow up to learn that act dumb because I'm dumber" is a song lyric and not a way of life. And I just thought that was a great way to start the book. Well, thank you. Yeah, um, Rosie and, and Ruben are my little niece and nephew. And, you know, I spend uh, a lot of time with them, especially during the pandemic when the amount of people you can visit, you know, they were, they are some of the few people I, I see with any regularity and their and their parents and all that. So I, you know, I just, I love them to death and I wanted to, I, I think I mean it, you know, this is this is an entertaining story it's fun, it's riveting, but there's also a serious side to it, which is, you know, has a lot to do with social media and the way we live now and the attention economy and the things that people their age are, you know, who knows what that'll morph into by the time they're teenagers. So, you know, I, I just wanted, you know, it's, it's funny, but it's also serious, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I, listen, I agree. I agree. You're in that respect. You're a true writer. You know, you can't help but add the double entendres. So, um, so you mentioned, of course, that you spent a fair few years on one individual. You, know, you had the podcast, which was brilliant, really, really well done, and you had the voice of New York, Angie Martinez, voicing the words that you penned, and that must have been crazy enough. But now we're talking about you writing a book. Um, where did this process start to focus on one person and how did that cold call from the agent panel talk to us about that process? Sure. So, you know, I go over this a little bit in the introduction of the book, which is, you know, dummy boy, Takashi six, nine and the nine trade gangster bloods. Um, but basically back in uh, the middle of 2018, if you guys can remember way back then there was this SoundCloud rap wave and I was at that point a staff writer at Complex, and I can't speak for our competitors, other media outlets, but you know, certainly we and and probably they as well didn't quite know how to cover it, what to make of it. This was a generation of artists who kind of eschewed traditional media coverage. They didn't need it. They could talk to thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe a million people just by looking into their phone. 
so what do they need an article for where something might come out that they don't want or they can't completely control what's being said. Also, you know, a lot of artists in that wave had uh, sort of personal issues, either rumors or in some cases documented things about their personal behavior that made it so as a writer, you didn't just want to say, here's a new song, isn't it great? You know, you, you, but you also didn't want to start every article with four paragraphs of caveats because then no one's going to read past that, right? So these were the issues we were trying to work out. And, you know, Takashi was blowing up. Uh, he was, you know, sort of inevitable. And one of my editors said to me, well, maybe a way into Takashi is through this Treyway guy. And, you know, no one knew his name. You know, it took me months and months and months to find out his name. But who's this Treyway guy always around? And maybe there's something there. Maybe that's a way into, you know, writing about Takashi, writing about the phenomenon around him. And so I started taking notes, reaching out to people, getting, you know, softly rebuffed by his entertainment lawyer when trying to set up an interview, uh, but taking a ton of notes. And then after a couple of months of that, that Treyway guy and Takashi were arrested and things just kind of started from there. Um, as far as the book, the book kind of started during the trial. I got a, a cold you know, email and, and then phone call from an agent who said, you know, I've been watching your coverage and I think this is a book. And, you know, it took many months for that whole process to play out and, you know, the, the trial to finish, write all the coverage, write a proposal, go to all the publishers, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But it ended up, we ended up at uh, Kingston Imperial, great small company, Marvis Johnson, who worked with Prodigy for a long time. It's, uh, you know, it's his, it's his company. So he certainly understands, you know, hip hop, policing, crime, all of these things in a, in a very intimate way. And yeah, so that's sort of how it, uh, that's how the book happened. Okay. So I know in the acknowledgements, you, you talk about some crazy phone calls, um, without disclosing names and any pertinent information that will get us into trouble. Just how crazy were those phone calls? I mean, I can talk about that. That's, you know, that's uh, basically around the time that Takashi's last album dropped, I was actually supposed to interview him for Complex. And it got as far as me sitting on Zoom at a prearranged time waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And then he didn't show up. And, uh, and then out of nowhere, I got a phone call from him. I hadn't given him my number, although certainly plenty of people around him had it. So it wasn't, you know, I, I can trace eight ways he could have gotten my phone number, but I don't know exactly. But he called and he said, well, I want you to do an interview with me. And this was the height, you know, the pandemic was sort of brand new. And he said, I want to do it in person in a, you know, film studio somewhere in Brooklyn. And I said, are you nuts? <laughs> you know, this is, this is when no one was leaving the house for anything. Never mind that he's on the, you know, the, uh, to be blunt, uh, to be blunt, the to be killed list of a, of a major street gang. Um, so, and also the way without going into detail, the way he wanted the, you know, who would have control over the interview and where it would air was not something that, I ended up being able to go along with, but it led to a long weekend of phone calls. He would call me, I would call my editor, I'd call him back, like trying to negotiate something. Uh, but it, it ultimately didn't work out. Although we did have an argument at some point about Tentacion that mirrored, you can hear him on, on some of his interviews where he'll say, oh, Tupac, you know, went to jail for sexual assault. How is X any different? Whatever. Like he, he got a, and I got a sort of early preview of that argument, let's say during, during our discussion. Okay. Interesting. So I know with, 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 with books and articles, there's editorial decisions that need to, to be made. You know, what was the decision process like in terms of what to keep in 
and what to keep out and what were some of your considerations around that? That's a, that's a fantastic, fantastic question, Chris. I'll tell you what I did because it was my first book. The first thing I did to relieve the pressure on, on myself of having to write a book, how am I going to write a book? Oh my goodness, I've never done that was I said, I'm just going to sit down and write down everything that I know in this story that happened in chronological order from the beginning to the end. And let me just do that. I know all this stuff, no pressure. I'll go back over all the documents, all the interviews I did, piece it together and just kind of do that. So that was the beginning, was just laying everything out that I knew of in the order that it happened from his childhood up through, you know, as past the sentencing basically and the you know that comeback and being released from house arrest and all that um after that it was kind of a discussion with the various people we had editing it about you know what to keep what was important what wasn't uh one thing i learned very quickly is to keep the number of names limited <laughs> because although i know who everyone was because i'd lived it for so long um you know, you just for storytelling and, and coherence purposes, you want to keep the the amount of characters, you know, somewhat limited so that people who didn't live it every waking moment for two and a half years can keep it straight. So that certainly led into it. Um, and yeah, just trying to negotiate over several drafts, what was, you know, what the key moments were and, uh, you know, sort of what you need to know to really understand all of the all of the context without getting bogged down in too many details. It was always like, make sure it relates back to Takashi. You know, there are there are fascinating things that didn't come out. There was a whole thing about, you know, maybe the single most violent crime that members of Nitrate committed as part of this whole thing. Uh, only ends up being briefly alluded to in the book, not talked about in detail because it didn't really have anything to do with Takashi. Uh, so, you know, in the early drafts, I went into the whole thing, how it happened and who was involved and all this, but, you know, ended up having to cut a lot of that stuff out because although interesting, it wasn't directly related to Takashi 6ix9ine and his career. So you were reporting from the gallery uh, during the trial, what was it like? I guess my question has two parts to it. What was it like reporting from the gallery, uh, uh, being an investigative journalist? And what did you learn about yourself and the art of storytelling? Sure. So I'll start with the courtroom. Uh, what I learned from the courtroom was basically everything. So what, what I mean by that is I attended all of the hearings that I possibly could about this case, you know, everything that I got wind of, uh, I went to, even if it was just a hearing where the whole purpose of it was to set a date for the next hearing. And that was the only thing. So being there for all of the little things helped me, you know, know the judge, the judge's assistant, the, you know, the people who help out around the courtroom, the lawyers, you know, they all recognize me. Uh, some of the defendants in in ways that were both good and maybe a little scary, you know, recognized me also. Uh, making eye contact with Shadi is quite an experience, uh, sort of heart stopping. Um, and the other thing is, you know, the, the entire second half of the book is a lot of the legal wrangling post arrest. And I could actually being in the room when that happened helped me go back and realize the nuances that I might not have known otherwise, right? You can read something in a transcript, you wouldn't necessarily know the judge is being sarcastic or angry or the lawyer is frustrated or, you know, they were like getting a little shot in at somebody. Uh, you would really only know that if you were in the room. So being in the room helped, you know, especially with that section of the book um yeah so that's that's what i'd say about being in the courtroom obviously you know the the section of the book in which i become a character briefly uh wouldn't have you know not to you know no spoilers uh wouldn't have happened had i not been in the courtroom every day at that trial talking to the defendant's family and families and friends sitting next to them 
you know, being out in the hallway with them while we were waiting for stuff, waiting on security lines with them, like being there every day, uh, you know, that little uh, section would, would certainly never have happened uh, without that. Um, yeah, and I guess as far as storytelling, I mean, you know, that was just a, it, a lot of it came out in the rewriting, you know, going through the story first chronologically, then in terms of what I thought was this really cool, complicated structure where I had flash forward and flash back and go talk about a legal moment and then go back to the crime. And it just didn't work. It was terrible. So, so you know, the, the way the book turned out actually has a lot of the first draft in it in terms of just kind of going through the important moments in order. So, you know, I learned, you know, don't, don't try and be too clever, I think is one of the, one of the main things. Reading the book, um, it's very vivid in parts, especially in the first half, you know, you're, you're, you're really taking the, the reader into certain situations. And a lot of it may have come from the recording from the trial. And, and obviously the people that you spoke to like Seiko and Jorge, the driver, mm -hmm. it's very vivid. And you put the reader right in the thick of the action. It's like you were there when you weren't. And I think that's a testament to your writing. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I was, we were very fortunate in that, you know, we had, I had firsthand accounts from a lot of the people. And I'll say this about Takashi in, in interviews, he can be self-serving, he can be unreliable in small ways and big ways, but you have three solid days of him talking in a position where he had to tell the truth. And, you know, that was one of the most valuable things in coming to this book. Uh, you know, and, and I knew that the broad strokes of what he was saying were true because by the time he testified, I'd heard them from other people in other interviews, right? Because I was making the podcast leading up to the trial. So there wasn't a ton of new information, but I knew that what he was saying what matched up with what other people had told me and I could really trust the specifics. You know, when he said, I was in a room with Mel Murder and shoddy and harve and they were literally deciding who should have control of my career and my money and this is what they said you know it's like well that matches up with everything i've heard from you know all the other people around this uh these folks i've talked to so you know and you can just kind of run with it so six nine is a you know, polarizing figure what concerns did you have if any in covering him for the podcast uh for the book up until that point, um, any ethical concerns you had, or was it under the guise of this is part of the culture? I am a journalist, I'm an author, and we are going to report on this because he's such a divisive character. What concerns did you have? Yeah, I mean, look, there, there are always concerns when dealing with, you know, any issue, especially things related to crime. Uh, you know, I, this was my first real encounter as a court reporter right, was just jumping in on this one case. So I was learning a lot as it went along. And, you know, I, I in a larger sense, you know, I tried to keep things in mind about the criminal justice system in the US, right, and all of the, all of the problems therein. That doesn't end up uh, coming through explicitly too much in the book. There are some moments, uh, but I, you know, I always tried to keep that in mind. And with him, yeah, like, you know, look, writing a book, there's a big cartoon of him on the cover. You know, I've given him plenty of coverage. There is a, it's hard to avoid, if someone were to say to me, you were glorifying this terrible person, you know, I would feel like, no, I'm not. I was always open about these terrible things he did and whatever. But also on some level, sure, you know, I was giving him attention. We did this podcast, I have this book. Um, that's something I try to be honest with myself about, right? And not just say, well, someone would have done it anyway if it wasn't me, you know. Um, I'm not saying I have a good answer, but I think hopefully in putting the full story out there, you know, you get more insight than you do glorification, I guess is, is how I would put it. 
yeah, before I hand over to Chris, I just want to say, reading this book, there were some things I didn't know about the story. Um, certain situations, and you know, I didn't know about you know Harv pulling up to the house with the gun and the police getting there. I didn't know any of that. Now, some of that was new to me. But what you've done with Dummy Boy is very much tell the story. I don't think anyone can touch this now. It's just one of those things. It just have to be left alone. Um, unless you decide to do a feature film, then you can be brought in. But I think at this point, this story needs to be left alone. You've done you know incredibly well. You've extensively. Um, gone into documenting every facet from when he's a child, how that affected him right through to the trial, the different songs, the interconnection, the interaction of gangs, the beef within the gangs, um, you know, Brooklyn itself. You've done a great job in in threading that piece together. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to say this. So credit to you. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, look, it was it was a lot to put together. I think one of the things that was most that was unique about this story is so much stuff that is under the surface in the rap world all of the time, in particular, the connection between artists and gangs was made public here in, a, in an unavoidable, undeniable way, right? And in some ways it was because Takashi didn't care about the, the mores of street gangs and rap, right? I think in, in the book, Jim Jones is set up as somewhat of a contrast, right? Jim is someone who says things without saying them, who implies things, who makes jokes, says things with a wink and a nod, right? As sort of, if you know, you know, uh, both in, in his raps and in how he talks about stuff in, in interviews and in public, right? Takashi didn't care about any of that. He just said, I'm a nine tray gangster. You know, <laughs> like he, there was no, there was no subtlety. There was no, you know, he, he didn't care about those, those mores. So, and because of the arrest, so much stuff about his relationship with the gang just became public. You know, he and he didn't have any pre-existing relationship with them. He had in his head, you know, to be famous, I need to align with a gang, which one kind of didn't matter. And so he did, you know, through a through a series of sort of winding events. He he happened to connect with this one, but it could have been someone else. Is there any redemption? for Takashi after all of this? And what and what does that look like? Because, you know, he's a polarizing figure. People who live a certain lifestyle, they're like, nope, he's a rat, it's done. Is there any way back for Daniel Hernandez? I mean, w- way back to what would be my question, right? Like way back to rap stardom in the way he had it in 2018, you know, as a yeah, like- let's let's start there, let's start there. I mean, as the kind of like, I'm a- you know, am I a dangerous guy or is this a joke? Like, no, I don't think so. You know, I think that part is gone. Uh, could he be a public figure in some way, even as a musician? I I wouldn't put it past him. I think, you know, as, as the book ends, he's sort of, you know, it seems like his time has passed and, and the culture has moved on and maybe collectively we've all burnt out on the constant trolling. And I think to a certain extent that that's still the case. You can see now that his shots at Lil Durk and this one and that one like aren't catching the same traction that they did. He's still trying this playbook, uh, but it's not getting the same outrage. It's not getting the same reaction. That said, I wouldn't put anything past him. You know, he has been doing YouTube videos lately with this guy. Steve will do it where they're like giving away cars and, you know, doing wacky stunts and things like that. So maybe, maybe next step is as a YouTuber, you know, or maybe like certainly his old producer thought, oh, he'd be a, a great Twitch streamer. You know, he could sit back and play video games and shout at people. Like he just needs attention. I think so much that I, I can't, I can't see him, you know, giving up the ghost, right. He, he will try and, He's certainly smart enough that maybe some effort will succeed again and get him back to a, a level of kind of attention and prominence. But as of now, it, it's, you know, it's not happening. And yeah, and the kind of like, will he be a rap star in the same way? I, I can't see it. Like, certainly there are, there are a generation of fans who don't care about snitching, but certainly there are, there are a lot of people for whom the like, you know, who grew up in the sort of stop snitching ethos and, you know, we don't do that. And which is interesting because, you know, what he's done now, and I get into this at the very end of the book, 
is he's tried to redefine snitching, right? He's tried to define it as I didn't snitch because they were mean to me first. You know, they betrayed me first. I didn't realize, I think I, I'm a little snarky about this in the book and say that I didn't, I didn't think that snitching, you know, didn't count if they were mean to you. Um, but, uh, but, you know, that's what he's trying to do. So even he realizes that that, that word snitching, ratting, like he's, he's trying to escape it now. Yeah. Before, before I hand over to Summit and we wrap up the interview, you've said something off air and I wanted you to define it in your own way. You call it the attention economy. I like that. It sounds really intelligent and something I, I need, I need a breakdown because I want to use it, but I want to know I'm using it in the right way before I go and use it. Sean, what is the attention economy? Sure. So Takashi is an Instagram followers. And from there, things could be monetized, you know, more people, you know, showing up at the gigs or a higher, higher price or a bigger record deal, or, you know, he didn't get to do that many endorsements before he was locked up, but maybe more endorsements, things like that. And for him, that ran out, you kind of piss people off and dump them, piss people off and dump them. And finally, he ran out of people to, you know, to insult, you know, by the time he insulted and got rid of the gang, everything had collapsed on him already. You know, there was sort of too much water under the bridge, too many shootings, too many sort of crimes to insult them cleanly and walk away. So yeah, that's, that's what I would, uh, that's what I would say, you know, the, the attention economy. And I think we all see it in social media, right? A hundred times a day. Oh my goodness. Like how, did enough people like this thing I tweeted? Uh, for me, I just put out a this new podcast that I've been working on for a year just came out. And so like, you know, I'm very conscious of like, you know, did enough people see it or listen to it? Or did my Instagram promotion of it, you know, did, did enough people see my story? You know, will they listen? Or now obviously with the book, like, do I, am I doing enough to promote it? Are enough people paying attention? Like we're all trapped in it in some way. Yeah. The attention economy. I remember one time when we put out a Beat Butcher interview and Westside Gun retweeted the video and the amount of retweets we got. I remember speaking to Summer and I said to him, people actually live like this. Like, it's just bing, 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 bing. And I'm like, dude, is this? And he's like, yes, it's normal for some people. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, it's it's a weird rush in some ways. Like, I, I remember, you know, I did an interview with uh, Bobby Brown a couple of years back and in it, I did not, ask him this directly. He just completely volunteered. He had an anecdote about he, how he had taught Michael Jackson the moonwalk. And that got picked up everywhere. Some places credited me, some people didn't. TMZ. Uh, um, but, uh, but uh, you know, it, there was like a week where I was like, this story can't keep getting bigger, can it? Can it? You know, and, then people asked Bobby about it again. And, you know, eventually someone asked a member of the Jackson family about it. It was just like, you know, it, it kept getting bigger and bigger. And it was this weird rush of being like this thing I did. So many people are seeing it. And, you know, it, it was this weird kind of viral moment. Now, now you'll notice every maybe year or two, you know, that same story will recirculate in another interview. I think Fat Joe just, you know, recently, uh, it came up again in an interview he did or whatever. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm glad to have contributed that that little viral moment. But it was a weird experience to live through. I hear you. I hear you. Summit. So you mentioned the podcast, the new podcast. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it briefly before we let you go. YMW Melly, the infamous story. You've got Ace Hood. You've got Ace Hood to front to narrate the podcast that's incredible and i was saying to you off air that you know i started listening to the first episode like the first you know 15 minutes and up until you had the the homie swami i had to stop i just had to stop right there because i've got to binge this like a netflix series because the way you've put that together 
um, the intro. It's like a feature movie. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about that project, the time it took, and what we can look forward to. Sure. So the it's uh, infamous, the story of YNW Melly. You can find it on Spotify. Uh, and it's been about a year in the making, I would say, of uh, pretty constant work. You know, in the beginning, it was sort of overlapping with the, the Pop Smoke series. We were kind of working on both at the same time. This was a complex subject, Pop Smoke, that came out a few months back. But yeah, it's been a year uh, of work and, you know, it was interviews, it was, you know, drafts and drafts of scripts, you know, it was a very small but mighty team, right? And just a, a handful of core members, you know, and when Ace came on, like Ace is really the perfect person to tell it. I, when his name was first brought up, I didn't even fully understand how great he was to tell it. But when I talked to him for the first time, you know, I got it. He is from a small town in Florida, just like Melly. He was the standout member of his crew. And, you know, DJ Khaled kind of snapped him up and didn't really have interest in the other people on his label. And that caused tension at the time. Uh, you know, similarly, Melly had his YNW crew and you know, his management company only worked with Melly, 300 Entertainment only worked with Melly. Um, Ace knows those tensions, you know, of being successful in a small place and being publicly successful as a rapper with sort of all the, all the, you know, craziness that goes along with that. Um, on the other side, you know, he knows the actual geography of the place, right? The place where Melly's friend said the, you know, Melly's version of the story is it was a drive-by that killed his two friends. So this is, you know, YNW Melly is accused of killing his two closest friends. And, you know, we're, it's, there's no trial date set yet. It's still sort of slowly winding through the courts. But where his co-defendants said, you know, their initial story was that it was a drive-by, right? And Melly, we go into this on the podcast, but initially there wasn't even you know, Melly maybe wasn't even supposed to have been there, but then maybe he said he was. It's, you know, we go into details in the show, but where this drive-by was supposed to have happened, Ace lived right there for years. You know, he knows that area, right? So it's not, so he can say, well, that doesn't sound like a place a drive-by would happen. I know that area. That's like a, you know, private, you know, ritzy area. Um, so it, it gets that specific, right? And so he was really just the perfect person to do it. Uh, speaking of social media, uh, Melly's Facebook account is basically a whole player in this series. Uh, there was a lot of stuff on his Facebook account that, you know, at least at the time we were making the show was, you know, still public and really gives you an insight into what he was like kind of pre-fame and as, as things were rising. Um, you know, so this this sort of like constant need to share ends up being good if you're a reporter. Understood. I've got to salute you, Sean. Um, as podcasters, true crime is huge. And I love what you're doing with true crime with from the hip hop perspective. I don't think that's celebrated enough. So salute for that. Thank you. And, and you know, we are, it's a difficult story. It's obviously still an ongoing case, you know, and we really did our best to to delve into, you know, what not only you know what the evidence is but how this affected people right we don't want it to just be did he do it yes no tune in next week to find out right there two young men lost their lives in this whoever however it happened right and we try to also get into you know not just who they were but the friends they left behind you know we talked to the the best friend of of one of the victims and kind of really get a sense of like what that town is like now afterwards and what this, you know, what this tragedy did to this small town they, they came from. So, you know, there's plenty of excitement and, and certainly I wouldn't deny that it's a, a true crime and that it's about a crime that happened, but I think hopefully there are, you know, plenty of other elements there as well, including music, right? It's a story of a guy who, you know, basically was, really on the the forefront of this wave of like melodic gangster rap that you know three years later has now taken over the entire world you know 
he was there early and really right as he was kind of cresting, you know, his career kind of got held up. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this. If he does get found not guilty, his career is going to go. Yeah. That's one of the things we got from talking to people in the industry is just like, you know, if he beats these charges, if his co-defendant beats these charges, like they're, yeah, he'll just be one of the biggest rappers, you know, immediately. Yep. Uh, yeah, that, that that will be just a, a weird to say, but an incredible career boost. Well said. I have, I have nothing left to offer. Sean, thank you so much, bro. Like genuinely from, from both of us, we really appreciate you for your time. Congratulations on everything. I guess the next time we speak to you, you'll probably be taking over the world, doing some sort of space launch. Uh, but we are super happy for you. Genuinely, we are very, very happy for you. So keep notching up those wins. And it's great to see you in a capacity as a published author. Thank you so much. And, and congratulations to you guys, too, with your your uh, your move into narrative podcasting. Like this is this is incredible. I was you know honored to be a part of the Blueprint, uh, the Blueprint series. Yeah, and you guys are doing amazing work in this sort of really kind of new lane, I think, of, you know, the sort of narrative around individual classic rap albums. I think that's fantastic, and I look forward to seeing what you guys do with it next. I also don't know how you do it so fast. That's amazing to me. Like I said, Nelly was a a full year in the making and so you guys doing two shows in like five months was like what am i doing wrong here like i mean you definitely you definitely you know you're not doing anything wrong you you definitely there's a blessing that it's two people but you know you probably shorten your life expectancy too you know <laughs> if i was gonna live to 80 i'm probably gonna live to 70 now but it's fine <laughs> now nah, but sean thank you man honestly god bless and all the best for the future thank you so much all right talk to you guys soon much love to Sean once again. Man, that was a good interview. I, I, I really, really enjoyed that. When you I think really about did. it, you know, you see Takashi, yeah? His life is long, bruv. <laughs> it's long, bruv. His life is so long, yeah? It's so expensive. Can you imagine how much his security costs? Bruv, man can't even go into Tesco and buy a cabbage, bruv, in peace. And not only that, you go and colour your hair and you wrote 6 9 on your face. What witness protection can you go in? Yeah. Listen, that whole that whole story, I was glued to all of that. It's, it's a film, bro. You know, like in Jamaica, they call it a flim. It's a flim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I it's was... a I, flim, I was bro. genuinely glued to all of that. Like, it just... You know, for some people, it was like entertainment, right? We don't look at it like that. We look at it like someone's going to get killed. Someone's going to go to jail. Like, you know, people yep. are locked behind bars over this. Bro, like, sometimes, late night, I read up on these things in it. So I read up on... um. Like Chicago. Right. There's a woman in Chicago. She's dead now, yeah? There's a woman in Chicago. Her name is Gakira Barnes. Mm. Bruv, Google her name and then text me. Okay. Serious okay. people. So I was reading up on Shotty one night. Yeah. Bruv. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, it's funny because Seri- I-, I Serious do, people, bruv. No, these are serious people. And um, I would, I just funny. I'd always be glued to that kind of story at night too. It's really weird. Three strange yeah, when I can't sleep, I, re- I read these things on, bro, bro, bro. Yep. Yep. His life is long, bro. Takashi's life is long. Yeah. Sean, Sean did an excellent job um, telling the story. Really, yeah, really did. did with this book. It's, it's hard. There's a lot of information. It's a lot of information. And when I talk about the vivid nature of, you know, be, you know, when Takashi's in the car with his driver, the kidnapping scene, all that stuff, not scene, but real life. But yeah, I say scene because it felt like Sean put us right in the mix, like right there. That's good writing, bro. Like that's, mm-hmm. like it make you feel like, oh, I like it's so, vi- it's like Nas vividness. Like you can see it. You can see mm. everything. The mm. left turn, the, you mm. know, down the, like all of that. It's, mm. Sean did an excellent job. No one can, no one, don't ever try touching this story, bro. Let it's him hard. do the it's feature movie. I, I do, I do think, and I'm excited by it. I'm excited by the whole true crime meets hip hop. I really think it's a genre of its own and I'm excited to see how it grows. And I think Sean and people like him are definitely on the forefront of it, whether they realize it or not. It may not have been their intention, but I think there's a really, a really big and engaged community that's really into this stuff. So I'm excited to see where it goes. And Sean did an excellent job. Yeah, no, definitely. And and obviously the YMW Melly podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to wait to binge it. 
I just yeah, it's, me too. It's, me it's, too. it's really well. It's so well done. Me so too. credit to him and the team. But I'm also just just before we go and before we you know I do the outro. Um, good people are winning, man. That's good. It feels Sean, like that. Sean's winning. That's, that's it. Feels that's, it feels like that. Yeah, and I, and that's good. I like. I love it feels to see like it. that. We, Some we, of our favorite people got books and stuff coming out, and yeah. I, I like. I like to see it. I like. We, to we see love it. to see it. That's what. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, they yeah, say. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, in it. Sorry, sorry. Or what did they say? I'm just trying to be like you in it. Don't nah, lie. You know, I, don't I, lie. Don't no, lie. no. I, I saw something on on. Um, I, I've used that. I've used that phrasing before, and then I came across saying, "I'm going to digress again." Oh, damn it! But no, talk, it. man. There was an Instagram post which talked about certain phrasing, which was is basically saying that while you think it's you're trying to compliment, you're actually undercutting, and it sounds very much like you're hating. Mm-hmm. And one of those phrases was, I'm trying to be like you. Yeah, bruv. One time someone said that to me, I'm trying to be like you. Bruv, I was such a hot mess, yeah? I had put on so much weight. My clothes were dirty. Man was tired. You know what I mean? I didn't shave. I'm trying to be like you. Look at me, bruv. Yeah, but like, I mean, I've used it in the context of, I, I maybe subconsciously. I never, I don't, I want people to win, right? So I'm not really like that kind of person where I want ill. But when I've used it for people, I'm like, yo, you've done such an amazing job here. Yo, I mm. wish I was like you. And, and then I just thought about it and I had to just, Go, you know what? I'm not using that phrase anymore. Yeah, I think you, it's a bit redundant. Yeah. Be like I think you, it's a bit redundant. Yeah. Just compliment the person. Say, you know what? You did a really good job on that. I like this. I'm not trying. To, I'm not trying to be like you. And I'm trying to be the best me. Yeah, there's different um, uh, verbiage I can use, isn't it? Yeah, especially you know? if you know if you're gonna say suck your mum in it. I really don't want to be like you, bruv. I'll bust <laughs> your head to the white meat, bruv. I'm watching Squid Game at the moment. That's why. I've heard about this. I ain't gonna watch it. Bro, I don't think it's for me, man. There's so much white meat in that in that show, yeah, bruv. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bruh. No, no, I've I've, I've had a few people. I've had a few people tell me, and I was bro, like, "Bro, there's an MF Doom looking brother, right? Who's letting the thing off? Yeah, yeah, it's not for hmm. me. Bro. All right, it's not All for right. me. Just, just, um, just speaking on TV shows, I bought the box set for The Wire again. Why? Because I don't really. I have it sporadically in different places, so I just bought it again. Greatest show with, ever with uh, with uh, the document, like the bonus. So I might just watch that. On that note. Rest in peace to to Michael K. Williams, who played Omar, like our first show ever, many moons ago. We're like 140 plus episodes deep now. Right. Our first show was The Wire versus The Sopranos. And I picked Omar as part of my football team. Mm -hmm. I think I put him in defense because he had the shotgun. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah, Rest in peace. Definitely. Um, I've got to get planning for 150, don't I? Damn it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We we spoke about that still, innit? I need you to need to open up your, your, your Rolodex and that. Mm. Okay. I got you. I think I've got an idea from, for it though. Yeah, yeah. From from what I remember, I think 150 was like It's November-ish. Early November, kind of mid-November. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That's cool. That's cool. I'll, I'll figure out. We might have to do a bonanza thing, innit? Hold bonanza and that. Bonanza and that. All right. So you can follow us on social media at Break the Atoms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Chris's handle, personal handle, is at I am Kinetic. Mine's is at Hip Hop Chronicle. We appreciate you, listeners. Thank you for tuning in, even though we were trash with the intro and outro and digressed a number of times. We appreciate you. We we, digressing. Um, We won't transgress, though. We will digress. Yeah, Uh, see, I'm doing it again. Yeah, we're doing it again. You know, transgression. Yeah, it's a very serious word, bro. Bro, any word they drop in the Bible, willy nilly, like verily, verily, I say unto you. You see, when a man says verily, verily, yeah, you better listen, you know, because this man's about to change your life. Verily, verily, our socials are. Wow. See, and we digressed again. That's how we need to drop it, bruv. <laughs> and we digressed again. Um, but no, we, lo- we love you listeners. We appreciate it. This is for you. This is for the culture. Um, thank you for rocking with us. New listeners, we love you. If you've been here since day one, we love you too. This is Breaking Atoms. Peace and love. Hip hop forever. Suck your mum in it. <laughs> 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 no, no, seriously. Peace, 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 peace. <laughs>